Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Some of the songs we sang earlier were just so beautiful. And, and the first one, these lines always really get me. It's, it's that last verse. It's um, all our sickness, all our sorrow, Jesus carried up the hill. He has walked this path before us. He is walking with us still. And I think those words um, ring so true. And especially as we think about these Bible passages, uh, especially the gospel passages, these stories about the life and teachings of Jesus, we have to hold two things together when we read these passages. One, we want to look and understand what was happening in that story in that time with those particular people that Jesus was interacting with. What was their culture like? What was their world like? What would this have meant to them? But then we also have to bridge a gap um, because it's great to understand what it meant then, but we also have to bridge a gap and say, he has walked the path before us, but he's walking with us still. What does it look like today, here and now, for, for me to encounter Jesus like the woman at the well or like Nicodemus being born again? or like whatever it it may have been, these powerful moments that we see in the life of Jesus. And so what we're trying to do as we look at the Gospel of John is just that, is to say this was written so that the original readers and hearers could have life and not just live, but have eternal and abundant life to the full. But it was also written so that we could have that kind of life. So when we look at this passage that Sung Hey read for us, um, that's what we want to do is look at what it meant then and what it might mean for us today. One of the things as I read this woman at the well story that always kind of gets me is this idea of thirst. Um, The Samaritan woman is at the well. I think it's safe to say she would have been thirsty or at least she she needed water to bring back to her um, friends and family in town. But after this encounter with a stranger, she actually walks away empty-handed. She doesn't even bring the water back to town. What happened in this encounter, in this conversation that led her to disregard her thirst, to leave the water behind? It would be like you or I going to a restaurant, ordering food, having a conversation with someone, and then leaving before the food even gets to the table. Who does that? I don't know about you. I wouldn't do that. Um, And I used to think as I read this that Jesus was kind of being like some sort of con artist or some sort of salesman when he met this woman. He sees a vulnerable woman alone. She's trying to draw water to bring it back to town, but he approaches her and he's, he's like, you think you want this regular water? Well, let me tell you about something even better. I can give you living water. Your water leaves you thirsty. I can give you water that will never leave you thirsty again for just three small payments of 29 99, right? You'd think that all we know about Jesus, right? You'd think he'd help her. You'd think he'd bring a bucket along so he could draw water with her and bring it into town. He, he seems like that kind of a guy. But the more I read this passage and meditate on it, the more I see that Jesus actually knew something about this woman that may not be obvious to us at first glance. It's clear that she was thirsty. She needed water. But Jesus knew that she was carrying around a deeper thirst. She was thirsty, yes, for water, but more importantly, for an encounter with the living God. Yes, she needed that 
that water, but she needed um, spiritual water. She needed living water. In other words, when we talk about this story, we have to understand thirst in this literal, physical sense that we all experience, but we also need to understand her thirst in a deeper spiritual sense, in this metaphorical sense. I think one way that we can talk about this idea of thirst, or more particularly spiritual thirst, is with the language of desire. She desired to have an encounter with the Messiah even more than she desired to have a drink of water from the well. That's why after realizing that she had just met the Messiah, she could drop her buckets and run into town to tell everyone about Jesus. I hope that I would do the same thing if I were her that if I encountered Jesus, I would leave my food at the table before it even came. Because the reality is, we all, you and I, carry around both literal, physical desires like thirst and deeper spiritual desires, right? There's those basic desires we have for a cup of coffee in the morning or a walk by the lake on a warm afternoon. If this is your first winter in Chicago, I'm sorry. I promise the days are coming when you'll be able to go for a walk by the lake comfortably again. We have these day-to-day desires to get together with a friend or relax in the evening and watch a movie. But we also have deeper desires. Some of us are eager to finish school or finally settle into a meaningful career. Some of us are longing to find that intimate relationship or have children. Some of us are longing to find peace and contentment in the life that we have been given. And if we're honest, some of us are pretty out of touch with our desires. Maybe you were raised in a culture that spoke negatively about desire or a church that took this verse out of context. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Or maybe you've been taught that desire is sinful and that the purpose of Christianity is to let go of your desire for the sake of following Jesus. Now there is a level of truth to that, right? There are these disordered desires these unhealthy desires that we all have, and we do need to let go of them before they lead us astray. But at its core, desire, spiritual desire, is a good thing. Desire is what drives us to act, to make certain choices and decisions in life. It's what causes us to make those really big, important decisions. It's also what causes us to to make those small decisions, like which latte you want to order that day or whatever it is, right? We're not Robots. We're not just driven by duty or intellect alone. No, at the end of the day, we're all motivated by desire, both surface level and deeper longings. So I want to return to this story about the woman at the well and unpack this idea of thirst, this idea of desire, and see how as she speaks with Jesus, she continues to uncover more and more deeply what it is that she's truly thirsty for. Let's uh, return to verses 13 and 14, where Jesus says this to the woman at the well. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I I find the woman's response here um, to this statement from Jesus to be really interesting. She doesn't just immediately understand what it is that he's talking about, right? She assumes that he's talking about regular water. She 
she wants it, right? She's like, I, I want that. But the reason that she wants it is so that she doesn't have to keep coming back to the well day after day after day when she gets thirsty. Here's verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The woman assumes that Jesus is offering to meet her surface level desire for water. And I don't blame her, right? She lived in this time when that would have been a really good offer. There was no running water and drawing water from a well. I, I've never done it before, but from what I could tell, it was not an easy thing. It was very labor intensive. And then you had to carry it back sometimes miles to town, right? I get annoyed just having to fill up my water pitcher a few times a day so I can have filtered water, right? I can understand why she would have been interested in this offer, right? It sounds pretty appealing. But Jesus doesn't just offer that to her. He keeps going deeper. So he, he sort of begins talking to her about her life, right? In particular, the fact that she's been divorced five times and the man she's now with is not her husband. And while we don't have time to sort of do a deep dive on marriage and divorce in that context, I think it's really important to note what Jesus is doing here and what he's not doing. First of all, he's not calling her out for having some immoral past or having too many failed marriages. In fact, at the time, it was almost impossible for a woman to initiate a divorce with her husband, but it was very easy for men to divorce their wives. So realistically, she, Jesus is trying to show her that he knows. He knows what she's been through. He knows that she's been broken up with and left by five different men. He's not trying to call her out. He's trying to name the difficulty that she's experienced, and he's trying to sympathize with her. He's trying to show her that he understands the pain, the hurt that she's been through. There's also another layer to what Jesus is doing here. He's empathizing with her pain in the past, but he's also trying to help her see slowly but surely that he's not just another guy. Up until this very moment, they have been strangers. But how does Jesus know so much about her past and about her life? Well, he's trying to show her that he has divine knowledge, that he's not just another guy, but he has... Um, a different identity, a deeper identity, and he wants to reveal that to her. Thankfully, she's beginning to get the hint. She responds to Jesus in verse 19 and 20. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Do you notice how the conversation has shifted over time? It has moved from first just a thirst for water. Can I have a drink? The water I can offer you, so on and so forth. Then they start talking about her difficult life and her past. And now she actually brings up worship, like worshiping God. The conversation is getting deeper and deeper from the surface level to the spiritual level. And without reading all of the verses, but essentially they go back and forth and have this dialogue about about how to truly worship God. She talks about the, the Samaritan view, how her ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but she knows that Jews say that we have to worship in Jerusalem. But Jesus says, and he, he sort of prophesies about a time when the specific location for worship actually will be irrelevant because as verse 24 says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth, right? Right? 
So we get to the climax of the story right here with verse 26. And maybe it's because she was just ready to go back to town. She was tired of arguing with Jesus about where they had to worship. But basically the woman kind of tries to end the conversation. She's like, we know the Messiah is coming. He'll explain everything to us when he gets here. We don't have to keep arguing about this. And this is when Jesus sees his opportunity to reveal his true self. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. For this woman, this ordinary trip to the well just turned into an encounter with the Messiah. The Bible Project points out that this Samaritan woman at the well in the Gospel of John, she's the first person to whom Jesus reveals his true identity as the Messiah. John wants us to see the gravity of this moment that Jesus chose to reveal himself to a woman that he never even should have been speaking with or interacting with according to the cultural standards at that time. Jesus went across both gender and ethnic boundaries to make it clear that he's the Messiah for all all people, regardless of cultural, social, or economic differences. And I love what happens next. When she realizes that she just met the Messiah, she drops the water that she drew from the well and runs to town to tell everyone. She just drops the water and leaves it. Her surface level thirst for water was so easy to overlook because her deeper desire to know the Messiah was being met. She just lets go of this water that will constantly leave her coming back for more because she can have living water. She can be filled with an abundant and overflowing spring with a well that will never run dry for all eternity. How could she not want that? How could she not run and tell her entire town about the encounter that she just had with Jesus? Simply put, this Samaritan woman went to the well to just meet her basic need for water, and there's nothing wrong with that. She was just doing what she had to do. But in this ordinary, everyday moment, she had an encounter with Jesus, and her life will never be the same. Even though, of course, she would still need to return to the well, draw water, right, for years to come, potentially, she could allow that physical thirst that she felt to remind her of the spiritual fullness that she has in Jesus. And here's the thing, just like this woman at the well, you and I are thirsty. We all have both surface level and deep spiritual longings. We long for satisfaction and fulfillment, for relational intimacy, success, popularity, power, and so on. And in one way or another, we show up at a metaphorical well, right? We draw for water, we try to quench our thirst, but we often come back unsatisfied. What are these shallow wells that you and I turn to that leave us feeling thirsty? Well, for our thirst to find meaning and purpose, we settle for a shallow well of careerism or workaholism. For our thirst to find intimate relationships and belonging, we settle for a shallow well of pornography or hookup culture or Instagram likes. For our thirst to find deep joy and fulfillment in life, we settle for a shallow well of a night out with a few too many cocktails or glasses of wine or whatever it is, right? How 
often do you and I settle for a drink from a shallow well when Jesus is offering us so much more? These shallow wells, they might temporarily quench our thirst, but eventually they leave us unsatisfied. We find ourselves always coming back for more and more and more. What are the shallow wells that you turn to when you're thirsty? Maybe it's escaping reality with another weekend getaway or vacation. Maybe it's numbing out with Netflix or constantly scrolling your phone. Maybe it's that hustle to just acquire more possessions, more popularity, more experiences. None of these things are necessarily wrong just in and of themselves, but at the end of the day, they leave us unsatisfied. Why? Because deep down in our souls, our truest desires cannot be met by anyone or anything but God. We leave these shallow wells unsatisfied because what we really thirst for is not more stuff or more success or more you fill in the blank, but what we really thirst for is living water. Listen to this quote from Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Sacred Rhythms. Your desire for more of God than you have right now, your longing for love, your need for deeper levels of spiritual transformation than you have experienced so far is the truest thing about you. You might think that your woundedness or your sinfulness is the truest thing about you or that your giftedness or your personality type or your job title somehow defines you. But in reality, it is your desire for God and your capacity to reach for more of God than you have right now that is the deepest essence of who you are. The Samaritan woman at the well had every right to allow herself to be defined by her past. After being left divorced five times, she could have easily let that woundedness become the truest thing about her. What is it that tries to define you? Is it that shame you carry from a big mistake you made in your past? Is it that harmful habit that you just can't quit? Are you still riding the high of that promotion that you got or finally feeling like you made it in your career? Or is it your personality type as an Enneagram 3 or 5 or 7 or whatever or an ISFJ on Myers-Briggs, right? As true as those things may be about us, could it be possible that your desire for more of God, that my desire for more of God is actually the truest thing about us. Some of you are in a season of life right now where this thirst, this desire for God is unmistakable. You feel it when you wake up in the morning. You're, you feel it throughout your day. You're reaching out to God in prayer or worship and always seeking for more. You deeply resonate with the words that Emily led from our call to worship from uh, Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Then there are those of us, and maybe this is a larger uh, population here uh, this morning, who feel numb or who feel disconnected from our desire for God. We know that we should desire more of God, so we go to church or read our Bibles or listen to a sermon on our podcast or whatever, but nothing is really working at actually fanning the flame of our faith. 
first of all, if you resonate with that, that disconnection or that lack of desire, please know that is like a completely normal part of the spiritual life. There are seasons where a thirst for God is sort of at the forefront of our, of our life and, and many, many seasons where it's much, much more um, even unconscious or in the background of our lives. So if you don't feel a strong desire for God, if you don't have some passionate flame burning within you, that's okay. God can and, and likely will meet you there. Just like this normal encounter with the woman at the well, God wants to meet you in the normal everyday moments of your life, on your way to work, as you're cooking dinner, while you're just hanging out with family or friends. We often think we need to have these profound experiences with God, and I'm all for that. Let's set aside time to, to help um, nourish that type of experience. But if you're anything like me, those are, are really few and far between most of the time. When they do happen, it's great, but it's, it's much harder to recognize God in these just everyday normal moments that make up our lives. That's why Dallas Willard famously said that God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. And if we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment as not being right, we will simply have no place to receive his kingdom into our life. The woman at the well could have easily discarded this moment as not the right time. I'm sure she had plenty of good reasons, right? One, she had to get back to town with all the water that she had just drawn. Two, she was a Samaritan woman who should not have been talking with Jesus in the first place. But rather than dismiss this encounter and just move on with her life, she embraced the moment and her life was changed. Not only did she encounter the Messiah and receive living water, but uh, John Chrysostom points out that she preached the gospel. She became sort of like an apostle to, to everyone she could in her town, and she called them to Jesus. He says she even drew out a whole city to come hear him. If you read the whole story, you'll get to that part where um, they, they, the people in town kind of believe her, but they also are like, we want to go experience it for ourselves, and they come and, and meet Jesus as well. Clearly, this was a life-changing moment for her, but how often do you and I miss out on these kind of moments because we make excuses like the timing isn't right or I just can't be interrupted right now or whatever else it may be. We miss out on the living water that Jesus is offering because we think we're satisfied with the shallow wells that we've dug for ourselves. But thankfully, this is not just like a one-time invitation from Jesus. You just have one chance to receive the, the living water, and if you don't say yes, it's gone. Jesus is constantly, and we see it more times throughout the Gospel of John, inviting anyone who's thirsty to come. Here's John 7, just a couple pages later in your Bible. Um, he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them, by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
I know that this idea of living water can seem sort of abstract or unclear, like, okay, what exactly is it? And that's why I appreciate this verse from John 7, because John, the author of, of this gospel, helps to clarify for his readers and for us, what was Jesus talking about when he was talking about living water? He defines it for us very clearly. He says, the living water that is offered to us in Christ is the Holy Spirit, right? By this, he meant the Spirit. In other words, the spiritual thirst that you and I feel can be satisfied because the Spirit of God can dwell within us. So even when we don't feel a profound desire or thirst, even if we're not always consciously aware of the presence of God, we can rest with assurance of the fact that God is in fact within us, not just with us, but within us as the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is that living water, that spring of water that wells up to eternal life that Jesus was talking about. I love um, Richard Foster helps to clarify this idea of the spirit living within us as living water. He says, the goal of the Christian life is not simply to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us. The spring of water that wells up to eternal life doesn't just begin when we die and go to heaven, but can be found within us right here and right now. That is one of the main reasons that this whole gospel of John was even written. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, sorry, by believing you may have life in his name, life in his name, that overflowing, abundant, and eternal life that Jesus promises is available to us here and now through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's not settle for a shallow well when we can have an overflowing spring. Let's not discard our everyday life when God wants to encounter us right in the midst of it. Let's not wait for eternal life to begin sometime in the future, but embrace the spirit of God who lives within us right here and now. Amen. I know that all of this is so much easier said than done. Um, that's one of the difficulties of, of talking about Jesus in this way. And, and so one of the things we're going to keep turning back to throughout this look at the Gospel of John is to not just talk about Jesus, but to have an encounter with Jesus, right? So I want to make a little bit of space for us right now. I know this is a little different than just, li just listening to me speak, but I want to actually make space for us to have an encounter with Jesus. Is there something that you want to talk about with God right now. Maybe you want to talk about one of the shallow wells that you find yourself returning to, one of the ones I mentioned or, or something else that the Spirit brought to mind during this time. Maybe you want to be honest with yourself and you want to be honest with God that you don't actually feel a strong desire for God right now. That's totally okay. Maybe you could even say to God, I, I don't know if I have a strong desire for you, but I want to have that desire right? Do you desire to desire God? Do you want to want more of God? I think that's a helpful place for us to start. But don't just talk the whole time, right? Actually leave a little bit of time in the quiet to also listen to see if God has anything to speak to you. Like we talked about this living water, the Holy Spirit is, is within each and every one of us. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So em embrace that and just acknowledge that God is closer um, than anything, closer than 
and even your very breath. So we're gonna leave about three to four minutes now. The band will play some instrumental music and I just invite you to get into a prayerful posture. Maybe you wanna open your hands uh, to receive. Maybe you wanna close them over your heart or over your chest, whatever it is that says, Lord, um, I'm listening. I have something to say to you. I wanna have a conversation with you. And the next four minutes are ours to just pray and encounter God and the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, guide us now as we pray.
just close with a word of prayer. God, um, thank you for this story that um, not only was meaningful then and, and, and in the history of um, your life and, and Christian tradition, but I just pray that each one of us might have that kind of encounter with you where we could be filled with living water afresh, where that... Um, the Holy Spirit who lives within us would just feel present and known and accessible to us, not just some mysterious thing, but um, something we can actually receive and be filled with. Uh, just like we can take a sip of water and, and feel it quench our thirst, we pray you would um, meet us in that place where we feel that spiritual thirst today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.